This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. And Kristen, I was thinking of an anecdote today. Uh, one time Christmas, my family was sitting around playing this card game mm-hmm. where you draw a card. It's got like a deep question and it helps you learn things about uh, other people. Mm, nice. Uh, it was very meaningful, except my family's a little sarcastic. So when the question, uh, what do you like least about your gender came up, uh, my brother responded that the thing he liked least about being male was that he always had to walk to the back of department stores to get to the men's department. That was his biggest complaint. Wow. Yeah. Life must be good for the Edmonds brothers. (laughs) But I have to say, when he said it, there were these, like, nods of recognition from all the guys in the room, like, yeah, it is kind of a bummer to have to walk to the back of the department store. Uh Uh-huh. But I was thinking, at least when he gets there, shopping is easy. Oh, yeah. They know, they just have to know their, whatever, inch, inch size, waist size, Leg length. It seems like two numbers, like 32 by 36, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know what those mean, but it seems very standardized. Yeah, whereas if we were to walk into a department store right now, pick out five different brands of jeans, same size, guarantee you right now, maybe one of those would fit well. Yeah, oh, maybe. Maybe. It takes think, a long time for girls to shop. Yeah, men and women can both relate to this. Women who obviously are buying clothes for themselves and men who have valiantly made the attempt to buy clothes for women. Um, it is, it is hard. It is a strange and confusing world of numbers and sizes that just really don't add up. They don't add up. You might be, you know, a size six in one store, size eight from another store, maybe mm-hmm. even in the same store. You have to buy like three different sizes. Yeah. I don't know what size I am anymore. I just, I just try to get into a Zen state before I walk into a store and just let it take me. Just go in there with as many clothes as you can handle. Mm -hmm. And interesting enough, Krista and I, when we were researching women's clothing sizes, both took a survey that kind of questioned, like, what kind of fits we liked, what kind of styles we Mm -hmm. liked. And, Kristen, you got, like, 65 possible jean styles that would fit you? Yeah, 65 jeans. It was fine. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, answer all these questions. We'll find the perfect pair or 65 pairs of jeans. Yeah, I got 72 jean results. There's no way I'm trying on 72 jeans. No. Uh, not going to happen. So let's get to the bottom of this. Why are women's clothing sizes so hard to decipher? 
Why are they? Why are they so hard to figure out? Why can't it be like the good old days? By which I mean the pre-Civil War days. <laughs> yes, I don't know if I call them the good old days, but uh, but yes, the Civil War does have a lot to do with the standardization of clothing sizes. Before then, a lot of clothes were either made in the home or if you were wealthy enough, you could have a tailor make clothes for you. But with the Civil War, uh, soldiers needed uniforms, obviously, and home production couldn't exactly keep up with demand. And so then you start having the mass production of uniforms, which then led to standardization of men's sizes. Because they're like, well, this would be a lot easier if we could just kind of, you know, stamp out different sizes of men's uniforms and send them off. Yeah, they took all that data. After the Civil War, men could buy ready-made clothes. Mm -hmm. Women didn't follow until about the 1920s. And that's when, you know, industrialization, excuse me, was picking up. And, you know, companies started trying to appeal to women being like, buy this dress. It's already made for you. Yeah, you've got the growing urban middle class uh, that's able to afford uh, more of these clothes. Just, you know... Advertising is starting to take off. All of these forces combining to uh, to kick off the whole retail industry. But they were making all these ready-made clothes with absolutely no data about women's bodies. So you would send off for your dress. They'd mail it back. It would it would look like you know a burlap sack mm-hmm. on you, not necessarily in in texture. Which is kind of how a lot of clothes that I put on now that I think are my size look on me. But I burn. <laughs> burn clothes. So between 1949 and 1952, uh, the Mail Order Association of America, in conjunction with the National Bureau of Standards, organized this massive survey of women's measurements. Mm-hmm. And they collected all of this data. I think it was 16,000 women that participated in this study uh, to figure out what exactly women's clothing sizes were. Yeah, and they also took some data during World War II from w- the Women's Army Corps. They used the volunteers from that organization to also, you know, feed into the data. But regardless where the data came from, it was mostly from young Caucasian women. Mm-hmm. Not very uh, ethnically diverse results, not taking into account how your body changes as you age. It was sort of these uh, very small subsets of women who determined the original standard sizes. Right. But nevertheless, they would take, they, they took 59 measurements from each volunteer. And uh, the studies were published um, by the USDA uh, under the title Women's Measurements for Garments and Pattern Construction. And those are still used today if you're a sewer. Patterns that you buy in the store still use those original sizes, which go from eight to thirty-eight. But one thing that you'll notice, if and I, I can I can speak personally to this, my mom was a seamstress, still is a seamstress, and she would make dresses for me. And I remember we uh, a couple years ago, I wanted I wanted a dress, and we decided that we would uh, we would work on one together, and so we went to the store and. Picking out the pattern, finding the right size pattern was uh, slightly traumatic because since it's based on these old body measurements, I I had to go up a few sizes than I normally would. You're I wearing a 38. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't very. I honestly wasn't very happy about it. But it's because, like you said, it, it's really just patterns that are that follow these standards now. Because if you walk into a store, an eight back in 1950 certainly isn't the eight that you'll find today. And the very reason that happened is probably because of how you felt when you bought 
that pattern for your dress is it made you feel bad about a number. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, brands figured out that women don't want to buy clothing that's really high up on the scale. So as Kristen said, what was a size eight may now be a size zero simply because people have figured out that women are vain about what size they are. Right. And I think what you're referring to is vanity sizing. Vanity sizing. And it's it's sort of a hot topic of debate in the fashion world. I've read some arguments this week that people who say it doesn't exist, other people who say there's no way it doesn't exist when there are stores that are selling size zeros, size like zero, zero. Yeah. Extra, extra small. There's a definite trend. I mean, according to an article on MSNBC.com, uh, a size eight in 1950 translated to a size four in the 1970s, and today that same size eight is a double zero. Which is kind of hard to believe when you consider a statistic uh, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, as reported in Real Simple Magazine, looked at women from 1962 to 2002, and their height had gone up one inch, and their weight had gone up more than 24 pounds. So we're somehow getting bigger, and our clothes are getting smaller. Right. I think the average woman's size today is a 14. Yeah. Whereas it used to be the the eight was the was considered the the average average size, but I guarantee you, if you try to go vintage shopping and you put on an eight, uh, it's going to be tight. But it's interesting you mentioned the size of eight, Kristen, because we are reading about how clothes are sized today, and manufacturers work off the assumption that eight is sort of the midpoint, despite mm-hmm. the fact that, as you say, it's probably closer to fourteen. Right, Molly. According to Tim Gunn of Project Runway fame, uh, the process for even designing a, a woman's garment starts with the designer making a sketch of the idea, and then uh, they enlist a quote-unquote fit model, who is a person who represents the company's ideal midpoint size, which is, like you said, that size eight. But this is where it might get tricky, because different designers might use a different silhouette. Some fit models might have, you know, broader shoulders or narrower hips or larger thighs, whatever, whatever it is, because each designer has an idea of how they want their garments to look on our bodies. So that's why you you still get variations even among the, the fit size eight. Right. And, you know, because these women, their job is to be a size eight, they may not be a size eight like a real world woman. A real world woman mm-hmm. is a size eight. Right. Because you could walk into any number of stores and the size eight could actually fit all different sizes of women. <laughs> but as you say, the designers do care how their clothes look, which is why I'm guessing, I mean, I don't want to point any fingers, but I think that the designers seem to care more about how the clothes look for the smaller sizes And then they just kind of multiply up for the heavier sizes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they try to do everything in uh, in proportion. Like as the as the waist gets larger, then the arms get longer. But that's really not how body works. No, yeah, that's not how our our bodies grow. So now today we have this situation where sizes are just all over the place, and some governments want to do something about it. Yeah, this is a time when we should be modeling Spain. Yeah, Spain has really uh, taken taken the lead in this women's clothing size standardization. Um, because if you remember, I believe it was in 2007, Spain actually banned um, extremely thin models from uh, walking the catwalk in their in their fashion week. And the Minister of Health then took it one step further by calling for the standardization of women's clothing sizes based on these real world. Uh, 
female measurements because he thought that it uh, reflected poorly on uh, or promoted poor body image for younger consumers, especially. And he was calling for this not only from mass market uh, retailers, but also for the smaller designers as well. So that an eight is an eight is an eight, mm-hmm. no matter where you shop. So it'll be interesting to see how how that actually plays out. And there have also been efforts in the U.S. and the U.K. as well, Molly, to kind of revamp the uh, that initial survey that we were talking about that took place um, in of the mid-century to update those clothing sizes. Because like you said, it was mostly Caucasian women, which is not representative of the population. Yeah. And you know what's cool about this, Kristen? What? They used scanners. Scanners? Yes. Full body scanners. Like there's this company, uh, they have, what's it called? The T2? TC2. TC2. T2 is the Terminator sequel. Um, so you'd walk into the scanner and all this like, uh, technology bursts of white light that I don't quite understand. Maybe tech stuff can cover this for us. Yeah. Well, I'm, Kristen's just looking at me blankly when I start talking about white light, but white light would capture your body and would make your body into like a series of dots essentially. And then the manufacturers would know how two dots were related. Mm-hmm. And that would be the measurement as opposed to just putting a tape measure around your waist and calling that your measurement. They would look at ratios. They would look at where things were located and which things were higher and lower on some people. Um, and that was how they would do measurements. So the vision some of these people had was that you could get a scan, have it put on like a hard drive, and you could walk around to stores and put it into like their scanner complementary device, I guess, and say, this is my body, find mm-hmm. clothes that fit me. Yeah, and you could find the exact fit clothes. But that isn't, that's not exactly how things have happened. That does not sound cheap. So I'm guessing that was one factor in scanning technology not really getting off the ground. But one thing that did come out of this, I, I believe it was Size USA was the name of this survey, including uh, the the white light high-tech <laughs> scanners that we obviously know a lot about, um, was that it intentionally included more minority women. Mm-hmm. They actively sought out African-American women, Latino women, who now make up a much larger percentage of the population than they did in the 1950s to actually get a representative look at what a woman's body in the U.S. looks like. And, you know, they're finding that women are like snowflakes. There really are no two alike. I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where a size eight is a size eight is a size eight. But I think the important thing that could come out of this is that we learned that size eight is not the midpoint. The study found that only 10% or less than 10% of mm-hmm. women met an ideal size eight. So this should not be the standard for which we base all our clothing sizes. Right. And there was um, an article on this in the Atlantic by Virginia Postral. And there was an interesting quote that she uh, that she made which said that clothing creates the illusion that bodies fit an aesthetically pleasing form, that clothes actually cover up the the natural shape of our bodies. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Like you said, bodies, as, as kind of cheesy as it sounds, bodies are like snowflakes. There's not an actual standard size of a woman's body. With a man, it might be easier to, to break it down into a waist and, you know, inseam, but... There, we just got a lot more curves to work with, Molly. <laughs> Let's face it. We do. So, you know, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate end to the podcast because we don't have any sort of grand solution for this. You really do have to basically try on all these sizes and, and find one that fits. Right. And if you feel crazy that you're walking into a store and you put on, you know, the size eight and maybe the fact of the matter is it might be bigger than it used to be because as, you know, Americans are growing larger, uh, 
companies are trying to cater to that by, by downsizing their sizes. You're not, you're not crazy. No, not crazy. It's just women's clothing sizes are not standard. Uh, going back to that initial standardizing effort that we were talking about, uh, that started really in, uh, the early 20th century, that was thrown out completely in 1983. Yeah. It just wasn't, wasn't accurate. Yeah. So we might see, I don't know, maybe in the next few years with the size USA survey and all these fantastic scanners we have, uh, we might see maybe a little more standardization, but I gotta say, don't hold your breath for for a while. We can move to Spain. We could move to Spain. I'd love to move to Spain. They have afternoon naps, mm-hmm. siestas, siesta. But Molly, before we before we go head out and try to sneak a siesta in the How Stuff Works offices, I gotta say something to men because Ooh. the idea for this podcast came from a male listener who was asking about women's clothing sizes. And you know what? Um, take all of this, take all of this to, to heart when you're thinking about whether or not you want to buy a lady in your life, a piece of clothing. Maybe you should stick with perfume or shoes. Mm-hmm. Shoes sizes, those are easy to figure out. Yeah. Um, or just take her with you. Take her with you, maybe to a tailor. Yeah. So you can get <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> Honey, we're going to go to a tailor so your clothes fit perfectly. To a haberdasher. <laughs> well, if you want to learn more about clothing, style, and just good old-fashioned anatomy, you can head over to HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, if you have a question or comment for me and Molly, please send us an email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And finally, if you want to read even more stuff that is on mine and Molly's minds, you should check out our new blog called How To Stuff. And, of course, you can find that at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.